Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. If you have your Bibles, get them open to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 6. And we will uh, first just read the first nine verses, and that, that, but then eventually we'll finish up with all, uh, going all the way through verse 15. And we've been in this series, we're going to continue a while longer, um, because uh, the title of the series is When Things Go Wrong. And uh, today we're looking at the idea of when you experience loss from 1 Samuel, again, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And so... Last week, we uh, left the story of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, and it was being captured by the Philistines, if you remember. This, this story is kind of humorous to me. I, I get humor out of it, but maybe you don't, but I'm just saying. So they ca- capture the Ark, and then they think they put it as a trophy in the temple of their god, which is a, a fish, fish man god, a, a merman, if you will, Dagon. And uh, they set the Ark before it as if it's a captured trophy, and you know that immediately th- this god, Dagon, falls down flat on his face and the next day they set him back up Uh, he's made of stone he's a great big statue of stone and then they they set him back up the next day uh, the ark's still there he falls over again but this time he's decapitated and his hands are cut off so he can't think anymore and he can't do anything he never could anyway but I just love how that all rolls out for the Philistines there and so so they end up saying you know who can stand in the presence of the Lord who could like and they're I think they're referring back to their god Dagon here (laughs) as well and they have this very practical example before them of their headless, handless God, right? So you're with me. So now uh, the ark is still with the Philistines, and they have even more trouble on their hands than a statue falling over. First of all, uh, now that it's there in the city of Ashdod, the Ashdodites, the people that live there, all of a sudden start getting what, what the NIV version calls is tumors. Um, actually, the little, literal word is a swelling, and in the King James Version, the older version of the English translation, they use the word emrods, which uh, is something I guess you would need preparation H for. So I don't know if they were really, you know, we don't know for sure if they were tumors. It's kind of uncertain. But, but either way, whatever this is, it's not good. Not only that, but they get completely run over by rats, rats and swellings on their body, okay? So this is, you know, because they, they're not supposed to have the ark. And so... So anyways, things are bad. I'm not sure if the rats caused the disease that they were experiencing or it was just a twofer. But, uh, <laughs> but none of that sounds good to me. I don't know about you. I don't want any of those. I don't, I don't know. Rats are pretty creepy, right? <laughs> don't you agree? Okay, so, so the Ashdodites, they call up, uh, they get on the phone, and they weren't phones, but I'm just going with, go with me here. They call up the, the uh, Gathites, which is another city nearby, and they say, hey, guys, we've been having such a good time and so many blessings since the ark's been with us. And, uh, you know, and, and the Gathites are saying, hey, what is all that wailing and crying we hear in the back? Oh, no, those are tears of joy. We're so excited. And we just want to share the blessing with you guys, so we're sending you the ark. And the unsuspecting Gathites end up with the ark. And sure enough, before you know it, they're experiencing the same problems, and they're on the phone. Hey, Ekron, hey, guys, <laughs> have we got a deal for you, <laughs> you know, which is a lesson we learn. Never trust a Philistine, okay? They're kind of like the Romulans in the old Star Trek. <laughs> or like in, in Princess Bride, you know, it's like never trust the Philian when death is on the line. <laughs> now, I use that reference, and then it just dawned on me that, that any young people that are here they have no idea what I'm even talking about right there, right? 
Because, you know, that like, <laughs> all us older guys, yeah, yeah. Do you realize that movie is 32 years old now? Does that make you feel really awful today? Yeah. But anyway, if you're young and you haven't seen that movie, you've got to watch it. It's hilarious. Okay. So, so anyway, you know, uh, so, so never trust the Philistine. But second of all, it is good to look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, if the people of Troy had done that, they uh, wouldn't have had the Trojan War. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but in the case of the people of uh, Ekron, they're wising up to this pattern as the ark arrives in their town. They say, oh, no, you don't. We're getting rid of that thing. We've heard the stories. And so that brings us to our text today, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Here we go. So it says, when the ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months, imagine putting up with all that for seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. And they answered, if you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. And by all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. The Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? And they replied, five gold tumors. Now, again, if that's something else, then that's interesting, okay. Uh, and then five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying your country and give glory to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and you, your gods in your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? When Israel's God dealt harshly with them, did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked, that have never been hooked up to a cart, okay? Hitch the cows to the cart, but take the calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart. In the chest beside it, uh, in the chest beside it, put the gold objects that you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, but it happened to us by chance. We're going to just kind of pause there. And, and for a few moments today, I want to talk to you again about this subject of when things go wrong, and the thing that's gone wrong is that we experience some kind of loss in life. Are you with me? Let's pray. God, thank you today for your word. Thank you for helping us to understand uh, deeper, Lord. Sometimes just reading it, you see things you never saw before. I thank you for, for uh, God, for us as we dig in, Lord, that it is like buried treasure. Sometimes we just go keep digging and we run into more and more of what's in your word. So bless us today. Help us to hear and to put into action anything that you speak to us by your spirit. If you agree, say amen. 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 All right. <clears throat> so... Um, Rhonda and I moved to this valley here in 2000. We sold our house in Ellensburg, where we had been associate pastors for 13 years, started Praise Center. And when we first moved here and sold our house, uh, we you know, moved a large chunk of the money that we'd made at our house into our new house, but we still had debt. And I told Rhonda, let's set aside $16,000 uh, for some remodeling things that we felt needed to be done in our new home. It was, it was not in terrible shape, but it, there were definitely some things that needed to happen. And so uh, she agreed with that. We put aside that money for future costs. Uh, as we started the church, of course, the church couldn't support us financially. And so uh, what I did was I would work on the side doing construction and anything really that I could do to make extra money to augment our, our uh, finances. And then what happened was 
is that um, uh, a contractor in Ellensburg uh, asked me to help him on a house in Cleelum. And there was this house that was being built. In fact, you can see it from the freeway still, I think. But it's way, way up on a hill. It's, it was, I mean, it had like glass that went up like three stories high. It was one of these like better homes and gardens, like mountain home just gore, everything. The view was 360 around this property. It was gorgeous. Had everything going for a very expensive home, uh, very well built. And as we're building this, I got to know the new owner. He was a guy from Seattle that back in the 90s, he had started something called day trading. All right. And some of you know what I'm talking about right now, because this became very popular through the 90s, and people realized there was a way with the new advent of the internet that you could trade online and make a ton of money if you picked stocks right. Did you raise your hand and say, I did that? Is that what you were just doing? Oh, I thought I saw a hand raise over there. <laughs> so I was going to say, Lonnie, I can't believe that. No. <laughs> anyway, so, so no, and that's fine if you did it. It's not that big of a deal, but it was kind of like the, it was like the in fad. And I'm listening to this guy talk, and I'm talking back and forth with the contractor guy who also was starting to do some of this stuff. And I thought, man, if, if we did that with that $16,000, and really worked it, within a short time, we could make a lot more money and do even more remodeling. Right? You with me? So remember, this is 2000. So um, uh, end of 99 into 2000, I think, is all this is going on. So, so anyway, I, I asked Rhonda, I said, what do you think? Can we do that? And she, she, did, she seemed hesitant. And by the way, husbands, uh, lesson learned, if the wife seems hesitant, you really should get full buy-in before you go treading on into some unknown territory that you really shouldn't be into. I should have picked up on that, but she was reluctant. I talked her into it, and I invested this money. For two months, I was a genius. My 16000 grew by $2,000 in just two months, and I thought... This is heavenly. This is amazing. I made great picks. I'm watching it every day. And it's weird because if you get into that stuff, you're, you watch it and then your heart goes up and then your heart goes down and your heart goes, you know, it's just a bad place to be. So anyway, I, 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 I'm thinking for two months I'm a genius. And then the dot-com crash hit our country. And at first, if I'd have been wise, if I'd have been disciplined, if I'd have not had pie-in-the-sky ideas... I would have, what would have happened was I would have just immediately sold it and got out of all that. But no, I saw it just drop by a bunch all of a sudden and I went, <gasps> and it freaked me out and I thought, well, I can't give up now. It's going to bounce back. It'll come back, right? You know? And so you think that way and then all of a sudden you watched as your money began to be whittled away. Finally, we're back down to the 16,000 and now we're starting to go below it and it got even worse in my heart at that point. I started like really thinking, oh, I can't give up now. I have to stick with this. It'll turn around. It'll turn around. You know, you just figured it would. And on and on this went. And, uh, and as it continued, uh, it, sadly, eventually, I had lost 8,000 of that $16,000, which for us was like monumental. And, and it really put a kibosh on a lot of our uh, remodeling plans that we had thought about doing. And so, of course, I'm apologetic to Rhonda, and I feel like an idiot for doing that. And, uh, and, and so I watched helplessly as that money just whittled down, and eventually I kind of sold it and got, got the $8,000 back. But, but, uh, but compared to other kinds of loss in life, my story is, is quite mild, actually. You know, that's, that's almost a, a nothing, a drop in the bucket. It was meaningful to us at the time, but it's really nothing compared to other kinds of loss we experience, wouldn't you say? And so, and now I want to be clear, I'm not saying that the devil stole my money, okay? Like, it was just poor thinking on my part. <laughs> but but I, can I just say that many times 
He is responsible for the loss we experience in our lives. And if not, he will definitely pile on if you make a mistake, right? The devil doesn't mind piling on and making things worse and throwing things like guilt on our lives. And, and you understand what I'm saying? And we, we think, okay, it all started with a mistake I made. And then the devil piles on and he makes it worse. And that sometimes happens, and it's happened to me many times in my life. You see, the Bible tells us that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's his MO. That's his job description, if you will. If you see things that are dying, if you see things that are lost, if you see things that are being wrecked or ruined, the devil's involved. That's his job. And uh, I, I understand that we can kind of do that to ourselves, but again, he'll pile on in those moments. The Philistines in this story, they, were, they represent the work of the enemy. They, they represent the, the devil in this story. And um, now the devil's always trying to take things from us and make us undergo some kind of loss. And in this case, whether it's the ark or, uh, or when the Israelites were made to be slaves in Egypt, which it mentions also in that uh, text we just read, the devil can only, listen, here's what you need to know. The devil can only get away with that for so long. And then, then he's going to have to pay back right? And, and so, like, like I say, for them it was seven months. For the Israelites it was 400 years of slavery. But don't you know that when they, when they send back the ark, they're sending back a ton of gold with it as payment, and that the devil has to pay back for what he's stolen. And with the Egyptians, they, it says that all the riches of Egypt was just handed over to the Israelites as they left the country. All the riches of Egypt. That's a lot of riches, folks. That's a ton of riches. And so that's what happens, and that's, what's, that's how God gets involved. When you know, Yes, we all experience loss and times that are tragic and things that are rough, but then God shows up, and He begins to work things together for good. Don't you love that about our Lord? So, so when, when the devil steals from you or me, or when he robs the blessings of God in our, or of God in our life, Here's the thing we need to understand. When the ransom is paid, and it will be paid, it does not end up being paid to him. It's paid to God. It was, listen, the ransom for our lives was paid to the Father by the Son when he died on the cross. And that means that you and I don't have to pay a thing. That's why salvation is free. It's free because Jesus paid the price. He paid it all for us. And so, so the, but the devil will end up paying back everything he's stolen from the people of God. So now back to our text, verse 10. Uh, so they did this. They took uh, two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned, them, uh, penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on a cart along with the chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. Then the cows went straight up toward Beth Shemesh, keeping along the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. So, so this strange way of returning the ark uh, was based on, I guess, what you call the normal behavior of cows. They're, what they're trying to do is make it so hard for that ark to be returned, they know it's going to be God. And so these two cows, number one, have never pulled a cart together, so they've never had a yoke across them. They're setting them side by side. It might be thinkable that one cow might pull something, but to put two side by side was even more unthinkable, having never worked in tandem before. And then these are cows whose, whose uh, calves, they've just calved, and they're taking these calves away from them and sending them up the road and they're, where their natural dis, uh, behavior would be to always go back to their calves, which are bleeding over in some pen over here, right? You understand what I'm saying? And so their thinking is, is that if the cows act like normal cows, God's not involved. But if they 
go where they're expected to go, then, uh, then God will override the natural behavior of the cows. They're going to ignore their bulging udders and their hungry, bleeding calves, and they will walk along the road to Beth Shemesh, which, by the way, is uphill the whole way. Are you seeing that there's a lot involved in this? that it has to happen. And so that's exactly what happens. The, the, the cows move along the road without distraction and they head straight uh, and they're happily mooing, I guess you'd say. Uh, that's what it means when it says the cows were lowing. You remember in the song, the cattle are lowing, right? The baby awakes. Okay, we got a little about town of Bethlehem. Uh, that's what it is. It's the cows are just out in their field going, Rawr, you know, mooing away. So, nothing? Okay. <laughs> Verse 13, the people of Beth Shemesh are harvesting wheat in the valley, and they looked up and saw the ark. They rejoiced at the sight. The ark came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart, sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord, and the Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. Can I say that what we've just read about these cows is really a picture of us when we come to Christ? You may not see it, but let me go, go with me on this. We are like those cows, those milk cows, if you will, that have this ark, uh, that had the ark put on them. The, the presence of, when we come to Christ, the presence of God comes on our lives, right? Which, that's what the ark represented, the presence of God. And then, and then what happens once the presence of God comes on our lives is we will go places we never went before or we never thought we would go. Do you understand? And we will do things that we would never have done before. And ultimately, we'll come to a place, and when we come to Christ, of giving up everything in sacrifice. Are you with me? You following along here? Laying down our lives as an offering to God. And this is exactly what happened to those cows and so what we're doing when we come to Christ is we're, we're saying goodbye to the old life that we uh, used to live and saying goodbye to the things that used to be important to us. Didn't that happen to you when you came to the Lord? Didn't you, weren't there things that you used to think were so important or a part of your life and all of a sudden you come to the Lord and you realize, that's not important to me anymore. What's important is the Lord and, and following Him and seeking Him. And so, so we're, 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 we leave behind the old life uh, even as hard as sometimes things like that are, but we willingly do it and go along the road, if you will, of life. We, we, we used to sing a song, and again, time-wise, I think, I can't believe this song is over two decades old now, but uh, I, I've, uh, oh, now I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, I have something my sorrows. What is it? I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my sorrows. You remember that song? Anybody? Okay. I'm trading. Uh, Daryl Evans, uh, back in the 90s, he wrote that. So it's like, like I say, it's, it's quite old now. But there was a line in that song that I love to sing because we say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yeah, you with me? Right? Or moo, Lord, moo, Lord, moo, moo, Lord, right? It's like, come on, we're going to do this thing. We're after it. So er, listen. Here's the thing. Everybody experiences loss and all kinds of loss from time to time, right? We may have other words for it like suffering, tribulation, trials. On one hand, we can always think about someone that suffered worse than us, can't we? I mean, for sure. And sometimes that's, sometimes that's actually a good perspective to have because we can get, or, or I'll just talk about me. I can get a little whiny sometimes. I'm just being real. I can look at my situation and think, ugh. 
And I start to get a little whiny, but all I have to do is just for a moment begin to think about, uh, and it helps me that I've, this is one good reason to go on a mission trip, by the way. Because when you see what someone else is going through, when you're out there, when, when we went to Thailand two years ago, or a year and a half ago now, and we saw these children who had been trafficked sexually, and then were living in an orphan's home now, and, and thank God they'd gotten there, but then you realize there's so many more that will never get that. And you go, compared to my troubles, like, forget it. You understand what I'm saying? Or, or you know, wherever you go, but, but it doesn't take much imagination to understand that a lot of people have it worse. At the same time, that doesn't always help, does it? Because <laughs> we're dealing with it. It's our stuff, and we're like, we're, we're, we've lost something. We're in trouble. And so, so uh, it can be overwhelming, I guess, is the way it feels to me sometimes. There's a, there's a saying out there uh, that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, okay? And that might be an oversimplification of the principle I'm talking about, but it's true. The fact remains, if we belong to Jesus, and if we face things the right way, there's, the, there's kind of an if in that. He has the capacity to take the worst events in our lives and work them out for good. He does, and we've all experienced that. If you've known the Lord for a while, you've known that. Let me ask you a question, and I do mean for you to feed back at this point, but what are some things that, uh, or areas where either you have suffered loss or experienced loss, or you know somebody that's experienced loss? Let's just kind of give some feedback on this right now. Go ahead. Death in a family. That's huge. One of the worst things. Yeah. Lost a job. Mm -hmm. What else? Okay. Say that again. Family moving away. That's tough. What would you have here, Jake? Financial struggles. Absolutely. A miscarriage. That's, it's got to be right up there. It's like one of the absolute worst things in a family. Ah. Being falsely accused. Good. What else? Divorce. Wow. Very, you know, something about divorce. They, they did a study once on uh, the worst trauma that you experience in life. And divorce actually topped uh, the death of a spouse. And the reason it did is because when that happens, it's usually because of some betrayal. In other words, that person had a choice and made a choice against you. And they're still living, so you still have to deal with the repercussions. Typically, a death is not that, right? And so, so when they talked about stressors in life, they talked about divorce being higher than, uh, uh, than uh, death of a spouse. But either way, horrible, devastating loss, right? Anything else you want to add? So, so again, there's these there's relationships, finances, uh, hopes and dreams, right? You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? You had this idea, like, man, I'm going to double my money in the stock market. Ah! <laughs> right? Loved ones, you know, situations with that. Health. Loss in your health. You understand? Right? That's tough. How about your reputation? Loss of reputation. You know, and sometimes it's deserved, but sometimes it's absolutely not. I don't care what you think about, you know, I really tread on thin ice when I talk about this, so forgive me, but I don't really care what you think about the President of the United States. As believers, uh, our job is to thank God for him and to pray for him, okay? And I'm just going to say right now, the lack of civility in our nation is so, and I just don't understand why anybody would subject themselves to what that man and his family have gone through with regard to, again, I'm not making a political statement. I'm talking about the kind of attack and the wickedness of what people say just to say something wicked and wrong and awful. And it's such a lack of respect and civility. And so, so whether it's the, here's the thing. 
in God, those who are in a government position are worthy of respect because God says so. So we need to do a good job as believers of showing the way and saying, this is how we take care of this. We respect those in authority over us, right? Okay. Uh, ooh, I don't like that subject. But anyway, it needs to be said. So here's the thing. There's nothing at all, and even if there's something you didn't dare to mention, but you were thinking, there's nothing at all that's so deeply lost or broken that it's beyond the ability of God to return or remake in Jesus' name. He will. He'll take care of it. And when God fixes it, I just want to say something. I want to give you a little preview of coming attractions because it is going to be better and stronger than it was before. When God does it, it's better. You think about when a bone is broken, right? When a bone is broken, I'm told by doctors that when you have a broken bone and then thing is set and then it reheals, that the bone where, the, uh, where, where it was broken, where it heals, is stronger than the bone around it. Right? Or when two pieces of metal get tired and they break and a welder comes in and puts a weld in there, the weld becomes stronger, right, than the metal around it. And that's exactly what God does with us. And you know, the, the fact is the truth is always clear in hindsight. We always can see it when we look back. But it's not so much when you're in the middle of it. Is this right? <laughs> you know, like you, you, you think, oh yeah, that, uh, right, Pastor, you're right. Man, I see it. I, uh, God has been good and I've, he's taken me through and I'm stronger now and I'm better than I was before. But, but we, when we're in the middle of it, it's so, so hard. Back in 1970, I was 12 years old. I know some of you are going, wow, really old. Um, we, we lived in Massachusetts. I, my mom had to work full time and she was working. And it was, it was a time of year when the sun set pretty early and she's driving home from work. I think it was probably 5.36 at night from downtown Boston where she worked to a little suburb that was north, about 20 miles, I think. And anyway... Uh, she was driving along the freeway. It was raining. It was dark. She was driving a Volkswagen Beetle. I think it had one of those six-volt batteries in it, so the, you know, the headlights will go about five feet down the road. Not kidding. I mean, it was a horrible situation all the way around. And, uh, and she's driving along, and, for, and as best I remember the story, somebody, uh, their trailer had broken, and there was like a boat parked in the lane. And it had no lights on it, and there were no flares or anything. And she plowed into the back of this boat at, at highway speeds or something. And when she did, in this Volkswagen, the way it was designed, it was an older Beetle, and, and the way it was designed, um, there was a, kind of a crossbar on the steering wheel. And, and so when she, she hit so hard that when she grabbed the steering wheel, the steering wheel collapsed, and the, the bottom of the crossbar came into her stomach. Um, and metal crushed, all, since there's no engine in the front of those things also, the metal crushed around her foot and gashed her, her, uh, her leg open at the bottom. Now, she had been uh, married in 1969 to a man that had lived with us for a few years. We weren't Christ followers in those days, and they had lived together for a while. She finally decided to marry this guy thinking that life would be maybe better if she married him. How many times do people go down that road, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they get married, and then the next thing I hear, hey, you're going to have a, a, a sibling. You're gonna, we're going to have a baby. And they're like, oh, great. I'm 12 years old, right? Um, I wasn't that excited about it, to be honest, but it was, it was like it, it was what it was. There's nothing you could do about it. So, so anyway, um, this, I think the thinking that she had was, if we have a baby together, that'll make this rough relationship better. First she tried marriage, then she tried a baby. Are you with me? 
Like, we've heard this story before, haven't we? Okay. So, so she's driving along and hits this thing, and she's eight months pregnant at this time. And that bottom piece of that steering wheel, as it collapsed, and she went forward, jabbed into her stomach pretty severely. And so they got her out. They had to come in and break the metal away. She's bleeding a tremendous amount of blood because uh, I think, and I don't know if this is true any, you know, with everybody, but what I understood was uh, at the end of a pregnancy, your blood doesn't clot as well. Can anybody confirm that? Does that sound? Well, they, this is what they told us at the time. In her case, it was true. And so she began to just lose all of her blood. It wouldn't clot. And she had to have, I think she said, 16 uh, units of blood given to her in the hospital, if I remember right, which is like more than you have in your body, if that makes sense, because they couldn't stop the bleeding. Ultimately, the baby was lost, and it was a little, little boy, uh, didn't make it all the way, and that was that. And so, so this, this terrible difficulty in our lives and, and uh, their marriage that was tenuous at best at that point uh, became more, more tenuous, I guess you'd say, as time went on and went, they went through these tragedies together. Now, let me make something super clear before I go on. God didn't do any of that, right? That's important to this story. He doesn't break up marriages. He doesn't kill babies. He doesn't cause automobile accidents. Uh, please take that to heart. I think that, that Hollywood and some people that don't understand God get these things in our minds. We begin to think that's the nature of God. That's what he does. But he doesn't do that stuff. That's not what he's about. And I can prove it to you. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing, didn't he? Did Jesus ever cause anybody to be sick? Did Jesus ever cause an accident of a chariot or a horse? Did Jesus ever, you understand where I'm going with this, right? Did he, do you ever see him? No, Acts 10, 38 says he only did good, healing all who are oppressed of the devil. So you're looking for blame? Don't blame God, blame the devil. So, so he didn't do any of that. He doesn't cause accidents on the freeway, but God will work it out for good. And, and so soon after that, because that, that was kind of the nail in the coffin of a bad relationship, my mom ended up deciding that we would move away from that man from Boston uh, and then moved all the way across country. I still to this day think this had to be God. This is like, this is like uh, not to call my mom a cow, but this is like those cows going along the road like she just had her eyes set on Oregon. My aunt lived there, but I'm telling you, this wasn't in my mom's nature. She was timid. She was afraid. She would never have done this if God hadn't orchestrated. This was God beginning to work things out for good, let me tell you. And so God began to do that. We left behind our old life. We moved to Southern Oregon. Within six weeks, the three of us, my younger brother, myself, and my mom, all received Christ and became believers. At that point, my life was irrevocably changed, and so was my mom. She was completely different. My brother as well, his life was changed. We found Jesus. Again, God didn't author the loss, but he took over when loss was in our lives so that we might experience the, the good things and the health and the wonderfulness of living in Christ. And all, but the, here's the thing, the loss in all those circumstances led to good because God always takes awful things and he worked them out for good. And by the way, I just want to say, and somebody mentioned miscarriage and loss and those sorts of things. You know, I maybe didn't want that little brother when I was 12 year old but I'm confident of this I'll see him in heaven someday do you understand what I'm saying I believe every child that's gone from the womb for whatever reason before it had a chance to breathe will be somehow with us in heaven I have a little bit of scripture for that but I'm hanging on to it I believe it and more than that I believe in the nature of God and his goodness we sang of it today he's a good good father he's a good father 
Man, if you're looking, if you're looking for good, look to God. He's that kind of God. Thank you, Lord. So, so some of you have experienced terrible, terrible loss in your lives. I get that. And, and when we did Rooted back in the spring, um, or in the winter, excuse me, we, we did Rooted here, and we're going to do it again in the fall. But when we did that, everybody in the room got a chance week after week, different people would do it, but everybody would share their testimony. And like I said earlier, you know, as you sit there and you listen to this, and you go, oh my goodness, the terrible, awful, wretched things that people have been through. But look at them now. Look at what God has done. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I thank God. And as I, I know, I was wrecked week after week as I'd listened to these awful experiences that people had as children. And somehow through all of that, here they were giving praise and honor to God through the very worst things in life. Paul identifies this methodology, if you will, in, uh, of God in Romans 8.18. He says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you see that? That's so amazing. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So yes, we go through difficult things, but God says it's not worth comparing to the glory that's coming. Believe that in Jesus' name. Peter also gives us some insight. He says in 1 Peter uh, 1, 6, For a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Praise God. And so, so this is the big picture for us when we experience loss. We're looking beyond our troubles. We're looking beyond our trials. We're looking beyond our difficulties to what Peter says is the end result of our faith, salvation. You say, well, I'm already saved. Yeah, the process has begun in all of us. But, but the reality and the fullness of what salvation means is a yet and future event that we're going to experience when Christ comes or when we pass and we go to be with Him forever. And at that point, I love this because he says, Peter says, it's greater worth than gold, which can pass through fire. And that's sometimes what you feel like you're going through is fire, right? You're being, but it says what it does is it, with the gold is it refines it. It makes it better, right? You see what that's, what, so again, God is not the cause behind it. You go through it though. You go through fire and God makes it better in the end. Okay? So it's, it's, it's better in the end. But then he goes on and he says, but gold, even gold is durable. And gold is like the most durable element I think we know of. As far as I know, it's, it's super durable. It, it's hard to get rid of gold. Okay? Super important element. Uh, they say, physicists say it was birthed in neutron stars in the universe. And I, I don't know about all that, but I'm just saying, wherever it came from and however it got here, it's cool stuff. It's super durable. But there will come a day. This is what the Bible says in, in Peter as well. He says, there will day, come a day when heaven and earth will pass away, be gone. So even the gold, as durable as it is, refined by fire, eventually it even goes. And he's saying, you know what? You don't. You're more durable than that. Your, your, your experiences that have put you through the fire, and, and he says, heaven and earth will pass away, right? It'll, it will happen. But those of us who have experienced salvation will endure through the refining fire into all eternity beyond even the gold itself of this planet. Hallelujah. Are you glad for that? Amen. Worship team, come on back up. But looking back at my own life and 
Rhonda and I were just talking about this at dinner last night, um, by the way, which was steak, and I'm not apologizing for that, because um, I love steak, and usually once a week we, we have steak dinner together, and it happened that we missed our Friday night, so we decided on Saturday, and then it was two for one, so we're having steak today too. Pray for us. But, uh, but looking back on our lives, and, and like we were discussing last night, I really don't know how. I have no idea how. I don't know where the money came from. But over the years since that loss in the stock market, bear with me a moment, we've been able to do a ton of remodeling on our house anyway. We had new carpet, new kitchen, new bathroom, new central air and heat, new fences, new deck, new roof, new windows, new paint. All right? All that stuff's gotten taken care of. And we've been blessed with wonderful vacations. It's just, God has been so good. We've taken some amazing trips as a family and as individuals here. We, we've, besides all these things that are very, you know, carnal, if you will, but we've been able to give substantially at times. I mean, beyond what you could even think. And I don't say any of this to brag, but we've been able to give to missions and to the Lord in ways that go beyond our 10% tithe. You understand what I'm saying? And, 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 uh, and I'm, trust me, when I say all this, I'm not bragging on me or us. I'm not. I'm bragging on God. I'm talking about the redemption that I was telling you about. It's there. It's just, you, you just, over time, you look back and you go, oh, there it was. But at the time when you lose the 8,000 bucks, you think, it's all lost. It's a disaster. Now, I don't know if you're going through something right now, but I'm telling you, there is something great that God is going to work out through all of this. The devil will have to pay back for everything he's stolen from you. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor Sal. I brought the, you might be thinking like I was thinking, I brought this disaster on myself. I brought, it's my fault I experienced loss. Yeah. The Israelites were at blame for losing the ark. They were. And so you may think the same thing is true of you, but in, in, in their case, it was presumption. It was foolishness that brought about the loss of the ark. But even so, God's redemptive nature transcends our worst mistake and our sins, even beyond all that. This is the power of the cross of Christ. It really is. No one deserved what Jesus did for us. No, not one of us deserved that. And yet he takes the worst loss and he brings about the best gain. Isn't that amazing? One more verse. Let's stand together. Let's read this out loud. Can we put it on the screen or not? Is it not working? No? Okay, we had a little problem with the PowerPoint, I realized. Sorry about that. I'll read it to you, but I want you to consider it. And uh, in fact, some of you might even have it memorized, so you can say it along with me. But Philippians 3, 7 through 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Let that just sink in for a moment. Whatever was a gain to me, I'm just going to go ahead and consider that a loss. Why? He goes on, he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because every... Let me stop again. I'm sorry. Everything a loss, right? We talk about experience. We, uh, we experience loss because of things that are out of our control. But, but he's even... Paul is taking it a step further. He's saying, why don't you just go ahead and consider even the best things in your life just lost? Just consider it loss. And why? He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That's what it's about. So, so when the thing that has gone wrong in your life is you've experienced some kind of loss, don't look down, don't be depressed. Begin to look up for your redemption is coming soon. Do you believe it? Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.